Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're starting our spring series, which will be running for the next five weeks. And we're going to be featuring a special class of radio programs. There are radio programs that actually became popular enough that they earned a movie adaptation. For example, Great Gildersleeve, Dr. Christian, and Lum and Abner all began on radio, but then had films made in which the characters from the radio program were put on the silver screen for audiences to see. Now, this should be distinguished from actors or acts making an appearance on radio and then appearing in films. For example, Abbott and Costello were a comedy act that appeared in burlesque and then on radio before they were able to star in films. But they were not really playing some characters on the radio that they took into film. So we're not talking about that sort of thing. What we're talking about is when you have an original radio program and the characters are adapted to a movie and then the movie is adapted back to a radio program. So we are playing radio adaptations of movies that were based on radio programs. I think that is as clear an explanation as I give, and I think it's only going to become less clear the more I try to explain it. So rather than explain it, let's just go ahead and hear an example of it in the Screen Guild Theater adaptation of the Fibber McGee and Molly movie, Heavenly Days, which was a favored catchphrase of Molly McGee from the radio program. The original air date on this one is February the 10th of 1947. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in RKO's charming homespun comedy, Heavenly Days, by Howard Estabrook and Don Quinn. It stars that well-known couple from 79 Wistful Vista, Fibber McGee and Molly, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Heavenly Days. Pay to fool with books. Maybe some folks won't know what you're fooling. That's Fibber McGee of Wistful Vista. And the book he's referring to is lying open on the dining room table. A history book. On one page, a picture of the USS Constitution. And on the opposite page, the famous spirit of 76. But it's the ship that's giving Fibber all the trouble. He has just finished carving a model in wood. A small model... 
but not small enough to go into the bottle that's on the table. And as he stands there ruefully looking at it... It's no use. I'll never get this ship into the bottle. Not a chance. Oh, McGee, I just got the most exciting letter. Must have measured it wrong. Remember Cousin Clark in Washington? Too broad in the beam. McGee, I'll thank you not to refer to my... Oh, (laughs) you mean the ship. What's the matter now? Just run into a bottleneck. Or rather, it won't run into a bottleneck. Did you say letter? Who's it from? Cousin Alvin Clark in Washington. Came airmail. Hmm. Airmail. That guy tosses five-cent stamps around like they were made out of paper. What's he want? Well, he wants us to come to Washington for a visit. To Washington? I think it's very friendly of Alvin and Hetty. Oh, you'd like them if you knew them. I know too many people now. Do you know what our Christmas cards cost us this year? <laughs> Don't talk nonsense. This is the third time they've invited us and we ought to go. Listen, Molly. Washington is no place for yokels with grass suitcases. Why, that's ridiculous. I have a nice alligator bag. It's overcrowded, overworked, overrated, and over our heads financially. Why, the hotels there... Yeah, but Cousin Alvin wants us to stay at their home. Oh. Charity, eh? (laughs) But, McGee, he wants you to help him with some post-war problems. This might be a big chance for you if you don't... If you want to make something of yourself. (laughs) Which you don't seem to. But you could if you had any real spirit or ambition. My gosh, Molly, I don't see why we have to go to Washington just to prove I've got ambition. I could have ambition right here, couldn't I? Well, dearie, you make up your little mind about it. I've got to go back in the hall carpet. Okay. Ah, there goes a good kid. She thinks I'll change my mind, but I won't. No, sir, I'm not going to Washington. And I mean that. Why don't you go to Washington, McGee? Because I got no business there. Everybody's got business in Washington, McGee. Everybody but me. Wistful Vista is good enough for me. Always has been and always will be. Well, maybe you're right. McGee, are you arguing with yourself again? Yeah, and I won, too. (laughs) Now, let me see. There must be some way to get this dead-ratted ship into the... Huh? What's that? Gosh, am I hearing things? Herbert McGee, I'm looking for you. For me? Where'd you come from? Right out of that book on the table there. Right out of history. The history of the greatest nation on earth. Say, I've seen you. You're the... That's right. The spirit of 76. Yeah. I'm the fellow in the middle. And getting a little tired of it. Herbert McGee, you've got to go to Washington. What do you mean, I gotta? They need you down there. Not me. Too many people in Washington messing up the country right now. Herbert McGee, they're waiting for you. Horse feathers. They never even heard of me. Well, that's the reason. It's time they heard the voice of the average man. Average man? Me? Why, I'm way above the average. Ah, you think so? Well, would you like to prove it? Say, by getting that ship into the bottle? Oh, well, maybe. All right, then I'll prove to you just how average you are. Watch. Hey, it went in. You got the ship inside the bottle. My gosh, how'd you do it? Professional secret. Oh, McGee. I have to go now. There's Molly. Uh, Just remember what I told you, son. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Are you still talking to yourself, dearie? Hey, Molly, do you... Do you hear anything? No. Yes. You do? Yes, the refrigerator. No. (laughs) You sure you don't hear... I mean... Oh, McGee, you did it. 
You got the ship inside the bottle. How on earth did you do it? Oh, it was simple. <laughs> I just concentrated and... I mean, well, it's a sort of professional secret. Say, have you thought any more about going to Washington? Ah, Washington. That's the last place in the world I ever expected to go, but... I, George Molly, I think we should go. Ha-ha. <laughs> I'm glad you changed your mind, McGee. When can we leave? Why not tonight? The 8-17. Molly, you start to pack. I'll phone for the tickets. Hello, operator. Give me the Union Depot. Oh, oh, is that you, Mert? Ah, oh, dear. <laughs> What's say, Mert? How's every little thing, Mert? Busy. How's your family? Huh? Tried all over town and couldn't. Couldn't what? How's her family? Oh. <laughs> what say, Mert? Yeah, Union Depot. Going to Washington on government business. Strictly hush-hush. Huh? I mean, we're going to Washington on the QT. <laughs> Molly, she says we can't go on the QT. We've got to take the Pennsylvania. <laughs> hey, Mert, connect me with the ticket office and... Huh? Oh, they're busy? Well, call me back when you get them, will you, Mert? Thanks. What was all that talk, McGee, about government business? Molly, I'm going to tell those people in Washington just what I... Uh, well, your cousin Alvin wants me to help him, doesn't he? That's right. The letter did say that. My goodness, if we're leaving tonight, we'll have to send a telegram. I'll write it out, McGee. Yeah, just uh, keep it down to ten words. And send a collect. <laughs> I wonder what kind of government work he wants me for. Maybe I'll be a big shot. In an average way, of course. <laughs> like undersecretary to the overseer of the exterior of internal revenue or something. <laughs> hey, I'd better get going. Hey, Molly, where's my suitcase? Do you know? Uh, I'm sure I don't know, McGee. You had it last Oh, time. I know. I know where it is. It's right here in the hall. Oh, what's that? Straighten out that closet one of these days. Yes, sir, that's what they need in Washington. Someone to talk for the average man. Now, you take an average cab driver like yourself. Me, average? I ain't no average cab driver. I ain't pleaded one fender in seven years. And that's the whole idea, Porter. Someone to talk for the average man. Now, you take an average porter like yourself. Oh, I ain't no average porter, mister. Been with the line for 13 years, never got no baggage mixed up once. Now, there's the kind of fellow I mean, Molly. Right there across the aisle. I'll bet he's an average. I'll bet he's as apple as average as an apple. Pie, 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 pie. <laughs> uh, why don't you speak to him, dearie? I think I will, if I can speak. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sir. My name's McGee. This is my wife, Mrs. McGee. Well, I'm glad to know you. I'm Dr. Gallup. Well, how do you do, I'm sure? Dr. Gallup. Medicine man? No, Ph.D. Huh? A Ph.D., McGee. Doctor of far of uh, physio of uh, uh, philosophy. Oh yes. Yeah. Any special kind of philosophy, Doc? 
Well, my business is making surveys of public opinion. You've heard of the Gallup polls? Oh, sure, Dr. Gallup. Oh, the Gallup polls. Oh, you know, doctor, one of your men came to the door and asked me a lot of questions. Uh, nothing embarrassing, of course. Uh, <laughs> just uh, what magazines I read and what movies I saw and what radio programs I liked and so on. Yes, we got a pretty reliable cross-section that way. You do? That's fine. Hey, look, maybe you can tell me, Doc. You know if there's any such thing as an average man? Why, of course there is. There must be millions of them. Who? I... Well, I, I couldn't say offhand. Well, just think now. Have you, have you ever seen one? Well... Obviously, I'm not average. Obviously, you're not. Obviously, no one is ever going to admit it anyway. But there must be. John Q. Public, Joe Dokes, doesn't he represent the average man? Personally, I think he's just a will of the wasp. And, uh, you're stung with him. <laughs> now, what do I mean, Doc, if you could ever find him... You know, you've got an idea there. I have a good mind to... Yes, I'll do it. What? Make a nationwide survey, a Gallup poll, find out who the average man is and what he thinks. Why, if we can discover him, the real average man, get at his thoughts, we could predict elections, anything. Yeah, that's right. You could place a few bets and clean up a lot of dough. And the publicity. The newspapers would just eat it up. Yeah. Every reader would be a potential average man, a possible winner. Why, we might even... I'm going to Washington, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Porter. Well, tell me, my friends. Are you stopping over in Washington? Yes, I've got some important business there. I'm going uh, to... Ah, McGee. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, I may want to get in touch with you. May I have your address? Sure. Mr. and Mrs. Fever McGee. Uh, uh, 1730 Massachusetts Avenue. Uh, drop in on us, Doctor. Yeah. And bring the wife and questionnaires. Huh? Looks like this is the place, all right, Molly. 1730 Massachusetts Avenue. Uh, McGee, huh? uh, how much uh, did you tip the taxi driver? Ten cents. <laughs> Dearie, only if you're rich can you afford to be stingy. <laughs> Doggone it, I think tipping is un-American. Hey, what's that sticking out of the letterbox? Well, unless my stigmatism is worse. <laughs> it's a letter. Oh. Let me see. Oh, it's addressed to Mrs. Molly Mc... Why, it's for me! Uh-oh. Probably our grocery bill. That guy would forward it if we only went out in the backyard. <laughs> what's it say? Heavenly days. Cousin Alvin's been called away unexpectedly, and Hetty's gone with him. Oh. They've left the key, and they want us to make ourselves at home. Well, come on. Let's go in. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So this is how the other half lives. Cousin Alvin is high bracket. I can see that in one expensive glance. You know, he really must be a pig shot. Maybe I'll get one of these gilded inside jobs that could set me up for life. Hey, Molly. We're May. Oh, don't shout, McGee. You want the servants to hear you? What servants? I haven't seen anybody around. Hello? Anybody here? There, you see. Maybe the servants quit. Is that reasonable? Servants don't need a reason for quitting. <laughs> well, just the same, I think. Hey, now, who could that be? Well, I don't know. We better answer it or they're apt to think that something's wrong. Yeah, maybe they would. Well, come on. Yes? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, just a minute. Senator Bigby, my good man. Senator Bigby. Senator? Yes, indeed. By the will of the people, a clear majority of 8,422, I'd like to see Mr. Clark. <laughs> well, uh, we're sorry, Senator. Mr. and Mrs. Clark are away. Oh, that's too bad. I wanted to discuss our plan. All the details, ideology, indoctrination, and implementation, with coordination and solidarity. <clears throat> 
Well, I shall have to drop by on Wednesday afternoon. Excuse me, Senator, but at the Senate's in session, don't you have to be there on Wednesday afternoon? My good man, the only time I have to be there is when I speak. <clears throat> I'm speaking tomorrow afternoon. You are? Would it be possible to go and hear you, Senator? I mean, well, uh, some friends of Mr. Clark? Of course, of course. What are their names? Mr. and Mrs. Fibber McGee of Wistful Vista. Mr. and Mrs. There you are. You may give them this pass. Oh, thank you, Senator. Thank you very much. Don't mention it. Little enough to do for my good friend Clark, if you'll just say I was here. Hmm? Well, good day, good day. Oh, McGee, a real senator. Yeah. Molly, this does it. Does what? This pass. It's going to take us right into the Senate. I'm going to walk in there and speak up for the average man. What? I'm going to give all those fellows a piece of my mind. Members of the Senate, a gentleman, I stand before you on this solemn occasion. McGee, huh? let's go to bed and get some sleep. Okay. <laughs> second act of the Lady Esther Screen Guild play will follow in just a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. Suppose I said to you, your skin would look so much lovelier if you kept it clean. You'd be shocked, wouldn't you? And yet so many fastidious women who think they give their skin good care never do get it really clean. And here's why. Every woman's skin has on it a stubborn film. It's caused by the natural skin oils mixed with cosmetics and dirt. You can't see or feel the stubborn film, but it's there. And ordinary cleansing fails to remove it. Day after day, it clings. Hides the true freshness and beauty of your skin. Day after day, it encourages blackheads and blemishes. But there is one safe, sure way to get rid of the stubborn film. Smooth on my unique Lady Esther four-purpose face cream and wipe it off. Immediately, and this is so important, apply Lady Esther cream again and wipe it off. It's this second cleansing that really rids your skin of that stubborn, clogging film. And instantly you'll see the difference in your skin. The clearer, fresher, younger look. You'll find the very texture of my unique Lady Esther cream is different. So soft, so effective. That's one reason my cream cleanses so thoroughly. Why don't you let Lady Esther four-purpose face cream work its beauty wonders on your skin? Lady Esther presents the second act of Heavenly Day, starring Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, it's a big day in Washington. For one thing, in the office of Dr. Gallup, we'll take this poll right through the nation, a complete cross-section. We've got to find the average man. And for another thing, in the U.S. Senate. And gentlemen... I draw your attention to that. In the year 1,800 and a half. Oh, only 16% of the total population now of the great state. Vote. All their elected representatives. It is my soul. McGee, have you thought of what you're going to say? Let me tell you. Our representative, Paul. I'd better wait. He gets through. Well, I suppose that would be more pol
Well, he's finished, dearie. Yeah. Go ahead. It's your turn. <laughs> Pretty big joint they got here, Molly. Do you think my voice would reach? Now, don't tell me you're scared. All right. I won't tell you. (laughs) Molly, really, do you think I've got the right? Sure, I've got the right. Gentlemen of the Senate, I have come to speak to you on behalf of all the people of the United States. I think you should find an average man and listen to him. I think an average man might have some ideas with good common sense. Remember, you can't silence the voice of the people. You can't silence the voice of America. You can't... Silence you, mister. Come on, outside. Oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Now then, mister, let's see your pass. Don't think I haven't got one, Si. And who are you, anyway? Sergeant at arms. Oh, I should have known. He's had trouble with sergeants ever since 1917. There you are. Here's my pass. Does that give me the right to talk or doesn't it? Listen, only senators can talk in the Senate. Except now and then a foreign official like Winston Churchill. Oh, so you let foreigners talk in there, but not Americans. What kind of a rule is that? Hey, what's I the s- meaning of this? What's the reason for this outrageous disgrace? Oh, hello. I'm glad to see you, Senator Bigby. Glad to see me? I never saw you before in my life. Uh-huh. I thought so. Yeah, but, Senator, we met you yesterday. You know what, Cousin Alvin? Oh, nonsense. I have no Cousin Alvin. All my cousins are named Ezekiel and Uriah. No, no. No, this is my cousin, Alvin Clark. You know Clark. Oh, oh, Clark. Well, why didn't you say so? My gosh, I was trying to. I got no more chance out here than I had in there. I'm sorry, but you must realize this is a very serious matter. No private citizen can speak in the Senate. He can't? You mean a citizen can't even be heard? Only before a Senate committee. And they decide if the idea should be brought to the Senate. You mean a handful of senators can keep out the ideas of everybody in the United States? Yes. Uh, no. Why, I... He... Of all the downright insulting oh, statements... come I... on, McGee. Let's go. Oh, don't take it so hard, dearie. It'll all blow over pretty soon. Not the way they put it in these headlines. Average man talks out of turn. And look. They got my name in it, too. Well, maybe you shouldn't have talked to those reporters. I had to. Nobody else would listen. (laughs) When you think I could have been a big shot just by speaking for the little fellow. Hey, wasn't that the front door? Yes, I wonder who that could be. Give me something. A gun, a baseball bat, anything. I'll defend Cousin Alvin's home with my life. Oh, Cousin Alvin. Uh, McGee, it's Cousin Alvin and Hetty. Oh, hi, Alvie. So nice to have you with us. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cousin Hetty, we had no idea when you were returning. Uh, did you have a nice trip? Oh, exhausting. Alvin, do you still want that cup of coffee? Yes, if you please, dear. And take Molly with you. McGee and I will want to talk. Absolutely. I beg your pardon? Well, a couple of big shots get together, and that's what they always do. Talk. <laughs> I'm afraid I... I don't quite understand. All right, come along, Hetty. We'll make that coffee. I know just the way McGee likes it here. Now then, McGee, I suppose you've wondered why I asked you here. Well, yes. Sit down. No, thanks. I like to meet a situation on my feet. Fine. You see, I've just been appointed to a new position. Huh? Strictly hush-hush until it's announced, but it may lead to an unofficial post in the cabinet. Cabinet, eh? That's pretty big. I'll bet you get an enormous salary. Dollar a year. Huh? Out of which I pay my assistant, and that's you. 
<laughs> you get a dollar a year and you pay me? That's right. Since when did Washington start passing just part of a buck? <laughs> ain't asking too much, Alvy. Uh, what do we do? Well, in the gigantic swing back to peacetime pursuits, it's my lookout to safeguard the interests, the peace, the happiness of the ordinary citizen. I want to find out what irritates him, what causes unrest, and remove the cause. McGee, we can never have a happy nation until every ordinary citizen is happy. Well, any comment? I think I'll sit down. Good. You're just the man I want, or pragmatic. That's just a little soreness in my left shoulder. <laughs> now, uh, here are various forms to be filled out by the public. If you'll just look them over. Hey, hey, hey wait a minute. Uh, how much of that buck do I get? Shall we say 30 cents? Oh, that's not enough, Alvin. It's things like that that cause unrest. <laughs> 35? Make it 40 and I'll wash the car. It's a deal. Hello, Dr. Galf speaking. Oh, yes, Williams. Reports are piling in, are they? I see. Sharp change in reaction since that story broke? Yes, I thought that fellow McGee had something. Yes. Let me know when you finish the tabulation. Well, McGee, how are you making out with those forms? I've started a list of objectionable items. Good. What the public doesn't like. Item one, filling out forms. Good point, McGee. Enlarge on that. Enlarge on it? That's the whole trouble, Alvin. What we got to do is then small on it. Oh, I see. You mean uh, simplify, shorten, reduce. Sure. Alvin! Now, wait a minute, Hetty. There's no... Alvin! Have you seen the afternoon paper? Look! Where? The front page. In the Senate this morning, that... that man... Now, Hetty, you're talking about the man I married. Why should we all suffer for your mistake? I'll thank you not to talk to my wife that way. Now, McGee, you stay out of this. It's my family. Alvin, are you just going to stand there? No, I'm afraid I'm going to have to take some action. Action? You mean... McGee, this Senate escapade of yours is pretty bad. You know how it is in Washington. You're either a high flyer or a dead duck. Well, I guess I know which one I am. I'm a defunct canvasback. A massacred mallard. Of course, you realize that under the circumstances... Oh, never mind, Alvin. McGee, dearie, come on home. Watch yourself on that step, Molly's high. Oh, I'm so glad to be back in Wistful Vista. It's almost worth a broken leg, McGee. Hey. What's all the cheering for? Someone important getting off the train? We're ready for Fibber and Molly McGee! Hooray! Why, it's for us! Mr. McGee! Mr. McGee, congratulations! Congratulations! Dr. Gallup, what are you doing in this town? Well, I flew down just to make the presentation. What? Quiet, please! Quiet! Friends, as a result of millions of votes tabulated in our latest Gallup poll, it gives me great pleasure to present this award to Mr. Fibber McGee, the nation's choice as the average man. That's an insult! An insult! Oh, never mind, McGee. I love you just the same. But, Mrs. McGee, your husband is a big man just because he's the average man. Now, wait a minute, Doc. I told you I was away above the average. Well, I suppose every free man feels that way, but 
Who are we to argue with 40 million people? Come on, they want you to lead the parade. Not me. It's degrading. I won't stand for it. I won't... Ooh. Changed your mind, dearie? Come on. Wait a minute. Anybody got a drum? A drum? What for? To go with that fife. What fife? I don't hear any fife. <laughs> you wouldn't, Doc. You're not average enough. Thank you, Fibber McGee and Molly, for your delightful performances tonight. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here, Mr. Bradley. We know how much this radio program contributes to the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house. And we all feel it's a great privilege uh, to share in that work. And now, before we tell you about next week's show, here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Molly. Ladies, does your skin seem unusually dry right now? Does it feel sensitive, look a bit flaky? Can you feel little rough spots here and there? This may be nature's warning that your skin needs correction. What you are now using may not be right for your skin. Particularly for winter care, why not use my safe, gentle Lady Esther four-purpose face cream? The very texture of my Lady Esther cream is unique, especially designed to lubricate and soften your skin while it cleanses. Faithful use of my Lady Esther cream just works wonders on dry, sensitive, flaky skin. But remember, for cleansing, always use two applications, one immediately following the other. That's the way to get rid of that stubborn film which clogs pore outlets and keeps your skin from functioning normally. And if you will use it as a powder base, my unique Lady Esther cream will help protect your skin against dryness. Remember, my Lady Esther four-purpose face cream does four of the things your skin needs most. It cleanses thoroughly, softens your skin, helps nature refine your pores, and makes a perfect powder base. It needs no help from any other cream. Use my Lady Esther cream tonight and have softer, smoother, lovelier-looking skin tomorrow. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present You Belong to Me. It will star Don Amici and Carol Landis. Be sure to listen, will you? Heavenly Days was produced and directed for Lady Esther by Bill Lawrence, adapted by Harry Cronman, and was presented through the courtesy of RKO, producers of the Technicolor picture Sinbad the Sailor, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Maureen O'Hara. Deborah McGee and Molly are heard on their own program each week, sponsored by the makers of Johnson Wax Products for home and industry. You save enough on the largest size jar of Lady Esther face cream to buy a box of Lady Esther face powder. So remember, ask for the largest size. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. 
tonight's Lady Esther Screen Guild program is being heard by our servicemen and women overseas through the worldwide shortwave and network facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you and good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. The film version of Heavenly Days was originally released during World War II in 1944. I will say this. The radio version makes no sense. For the life of me, I can't figure out what it's about or what it's trying to say. But it's a bit more coherent than the movie. The radio version loses my favorite scene in that film where the Kingsmen sing and Fibber McGee actually ends up singing with them. And he's got a beautiful voice. But there was another musical number uh, and there were some visuals that made this story even more muddled. In the movie, for example, Fibber McGee is harshly rebuked for speaking in the Senate. The senator insisting that the average man doesn't actually understand all the things the senator does and doesn't understand his job and doesn't really um, really understand all of the issues, which you know, could be a very effective argument to use on Fibber McKee. I have to say that I absolutely love that actor who was playing the senator in the radio version. Because, you know, essentially his job was to be background noise. But this actor just went full force. All the gusto and energy you can put into a performance. It was gibberish, but it was passionate gibberish. Now, one point that's worth discussing is the guy that Faber McGee went to see in Washington who was only earning a dollar a year. And this is something that occurred uh, during World War One and to a lesser extent World War Two. although there were some post-war examples, including in Harry Truman's cabinet with the dollar-a-year men. And essentially, you had business leaders and executives who provided services to the government in terms of managing and organizing various tasks, particularly industries during wartime. And they didn't really need a salary. Either they were independently wealthy or they were going to continue to be paid by their company. But under the law, there are things that the government cannot utilize volunteers for. And so these guys needed to receive a nominal salary so they could be considered uh, government employees for legal purposes. And so thus they became dollar a year men. Now, of course, the idea that one of these dollar-a-year men's assistants also had to be paid a dollar-a-year is not true. However, I think that that was a joke. It just wasn't a particularly funny one. I'm not certain the point of that, but that's what the whole dollar-a-year thing was all about. 
If there was a point, and there's a glimmer of one in this version, I think there was just too much craziness that wasn't funny and didn't make sense going on in the film version, is it examines the idea of the average man and kind of asks, well, what is that? And the answer is that the average man, or woman for that matter, exist really as a statistic. You can imagine an average person as having the average income, having the average political opinion, having the average family life, a number of children, but that average person doesn't really exist. And most people don't think of themselves as an average person, you know, if they really consider the question. Because if you think about it, how many average people have you met? You know, you might superficially think, oh, that's just an average guy or an average woman. But how many people, when you got to know them, you didn't discover that there were some things that they were excellent at? There was some aspect of their life that was very different and unique, which in one way seems to cut against the idea of Fibber McGee's crusade. And maybe that's the point, when McGee is found to be the average man, that ultimately you can only speak for yourself, but you should speak up for your ideas, for the things that you believe to be right. And in a free country, you should celebrate free people expressing their opinions, as we see in the parade at the end. However, we can't claim some excessive mandate to speak for everyone or for all the people because we live in a vast country where everyone has differing points of views. Did I get the point of the movie? Did I get the point of the radio adaptation of the movie? I hope so. I think that's as close as I can get. And of course, the problem with this is that this is not supposed to be a philosophical movie. This is supposed to be a 77-minute comedy that may have some point in it. So it's a weird little film that got turned into a weird little radio episode. And if you've got a better idea of what it might be trying to say or might be about and I'm just missing it, feel free to let me know. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we have a comment on YouTube regarding our Christmas specials. Uh, Rancher wrote, uh, It's Christmas afternoon. I just heard the Christmas Seals episode. My grandma always used Christmas Seals. Uh, what great uh, memory for Christmas. Thank you, Adam. Well, thank you so much, and appreciate you listening. And that will actually do it for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Another radio program that was adapted from a movie that was adapted from a radio program. If you do have any comments, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.